I am so excited about this uh, Thursday night, not just because it's Gary, and I love that guy. Uh, he's, he's a big, lovable guy. He really is. He kind of looks... <laughs> it's the ice cream, yeah. Um, I'm so excited for the ice cream um, because... <laughs> no. Um, but we're starting a little earlier at 6.30, and so bring your family out, and all the kids and stuff will be out here. We have, If you don't know, we have a big grass area on this side, so bring your lawn chairs if you want. And we can just set them up outside and we're going to do worship, like one song, and then we'll do the, the message and then we'll just worship under the stars. It's just an amazing time out there. And so we've been going through Ephesians. It's just been a blessing all the way through. So I encourage you to come and join us and uh, we'll provide the ice cream and it's just going to be some fun time of fellowship. But if you will this morning, please turn in your Bibles to uh, the book of First John as we officially start the book of 1 John. A couple of weeks ago, we did an introduction to it, and last week, Gary taught. But a couple of weeks ago, I told you that I've, I've entitled our time, or I've, enti- I've titled our time in the book of John, 1 John here, as the gospel according to love, because there's so much in this book that deals with love. And my, my heart is that as we share, and I want to do it justice, that that love would just ooze out of the messages that the Lord is giving me uh, for First uh, John and through First John. And so, you know, one, one of the reasons that, and I shared this a couple of weeks ago, that I entitled it The Gospel According to Love, is because this book is such a tender book. It, it, it's an intimate book and, and, and a book that is just caring. Not that the other books of the Bible are not, but when you get into John, the beloved John, the, gospel, the, the, the apostle of love, um, he just speaks to us as a, a, as a father to little children. And he uses that phrase, little children, several times in this letter. And so, again, I just pray and hope that you can receive the love that God wants to, to show you through this, this book and that I would do it some justice. So let's read the first four verses of 1 John chapter 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. Father, please, Lord, bless your time as we spend with you, Lord God. Use your word to speak to our hearts and help me to do it justice. In Jesus' name, amen. That which we have heard from the beginning starts off this book. In the Bible, we, we, we basically have three beginnings. In Genesis 1.1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that takes us way back to the very beginning of creation. Everything that was created um, 
in the beginning was created by God just speaking it into existence. Nothing existed and he speaks it and all of a sudden it happens. And so the spoken word from God is what creates this whole thing. Yes, he, he, he formed man out of the dust of the earth, but he created the dust of the earth out of nothing. And then he, he begins to, to, to work with that. But it was all started by the word that he spoke. And then in John 1, 1, the gospel of John, it starts off by like this. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And that portion of scripture just reveals to us that Jesus, who became flesh, it says the word became flesh in verse 14 of that chapter. It says that that Jesus was there in the beginning and nothing was made that was made without him. He is that spoken word of God. That spoken word of God from the very beginning becomes flesh. And we beheld his glory. And he dwelt among men, it says. Then here, in in 1 John 1, 1, it starts off once again by saying, that which was from the beginning, we have heard and seen and all that. You know, here, John... John says, in the beginning, that, that which was in the beginning, we've heard it. We've seen it. We, 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 have, we have felt it in that sense. Man, the ultimate creation of God, has heard God by the word of God who came and dwelt among us. The beginning that, that John is referring to here is Jesus. Now, he was there in the beginning in John, or Genesis 1.1 and he was the word that became flesh in, John, in Genesis 1.1 and John 1.1. And so he's making, making re- reference to Jesus through all of this. But in a sense, he is referring to the beginning here in 1 John of when Jesus was born and made flesh. Or... In the beginning, when Jesus came on the scene and began his ministry. Either way, what he is referring to here is when Jesus comes on the scene, whether at birth or whether at the beginning of his ministry, that, what, that is what he is referring to here. That which was in the beginning, we began to hear and see and, 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 and observe and, and, and touch. You know, that's what he is referring to here in that specific time frame when Jesus was on the earth. That is the beginning that he is uh, talking to us here. Now, even though we are not told specifically who this letter that John is writing, he he never tells us who it, it is to, but we can make the assumption that he is writing to the church in general. It is believed through church history, that when Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD, that the Apostle John ended up moving up northern, uh, to the northern part of, uh, or moved north to what is called modern-day Turkey today in Ephesus. That's where he ended up in Ephesus. And, and we know that because of the book of Revelation, and he writes that book, that there were seven churches that, that, that are made reference to in, in that western part of Turkey today. 
And so, we, it's quite possible that he's writing to them. But you know what? We're just going to assume that he is writing this letter to the church in general, which happens to be us today as well. And John is warning the church in general against a group that was known as the Gnostics. And that's why he starts off this letter the way he starts it off. The word Gnostic in the Greek means knowledge. And it was a group of people that, that, were, that were going after knowledge, more in the spiritual sense, but, but they wanted more. And they were sometimes adding to what was already there, and they were kind of getting into the mystical things of knowledge. But, but the word Gnostics, again, it, 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 it was those kinds of people that would be uh, intellectuals, the, the intelligentsia kind of people in, in that realm that wanted to know. It's interesting because the opposite of Gnostic is the word agnostic. And a lot of us have heard that word. And that word means without knowledge. <laughs> so if you're an agnostic, you are without knowledge. That's what you're saying. Because a Gnostic is one who gains knowledge or wants knowledge goes after knowledge, and an agnostic goes against that in that sense. But within the group of, of Gnostics, there was two schools of thought. There was two small groups identifying themselves in, in that group of Gnosticism. And, and one of the school of thoughts was from the Docetics. Docetics. Um, and, and they claimed, again, getting into the mystical part of this whole thing, they claimed that Jesus was a phantom and that he really did not possess a physical body. You could see it, but he really like didn't leave footprints on the sand. And he really couldn't see himself in a mirror type stuff, you know, that, that it was so mystical in that sense that you really couldn't touch him. He, he, he was a mystery kind of in that sense. And so that's what the, 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 the Docetics believed. And then there was a, the other school of thought that came from the um, um, Sorrentians. Sorrentians. These, these guys followed a man by the name of Sorrentus who was believed to be a believer, but his mindset, even within that, that knowledge that he wanted, was that, that Jesus was merely a man he was not deity at all and that the only time he became spiritual in that sense was when he was baptized and the spirit of god fell upon him and so sorrentus thought that that the spirit fell upon him and guided him through ministry but when it came to the crucifixion the the spirit left him and so that's what the sorrentians Thought, And they were, again, part of this whole Gnostics uh, uh, group. And the, the Gnostics in general, they, they believed that the, the spirit was good, but that the physical was evil. And so anything done in the spirit was good, but it really didn't matter what you did in the physical because um, it was just matter and it really didn't matter and it would be done away with in the end. That wasn't going to live on forever. And so they believed that you can, whoa, geez, that you could do whatever you wanted in the physical. And that didn't count at all and it wouldn't follow you anywhere. It would just die with, with your body here. And so, again, if, if, if you can understand a little bit of, of how the Gnostics thought, you will understand why 
John is, is writing this book and the arguments that he's making and the warnings that he's giving the church in general. Because these Gnostics were infiltrating the church and trying to bring in their little doctrine of how they believed and how they thought, making it more spiritual than it really was in that sense. So John, right from the get-go, is dismissing and dispelling the thought that Jesus was a phantom in any way, shape, or form. Now, when you think of a phantom, you might think, well, you could hear a phantom. You may be able to see a phantom, but you really can't touch a phantom. You know, if you went to go touch it, you'd go right through it type stuff. You know, it's like, it's not real. It's not, it's not tangible in that sense. And so John is kind of giving a personal testimony here that he had no problem hearing Jesus and even seeing Jesus. He had no problem even looking upon him in, in, in such a way that, that, that it made an impact in his life. It just wasn't a, a flash in the pan. It was, he, he, he looked at, uh, upon him uh, intently. He contemplated him uh, to, so much so to, to give attention to him, behold. And so, so he's saying, no, to the point that, that Jesus is ingrained in my mind's eye. In other words, that even when you close your eyes, you can still see it. That's, that's how real it is. I, I can only imagine that as, as John is, 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 is trying to dispel these arguments, he is thinking of how when he beheld him or looked upon him, when Jesus comes on the scene and he begins to follow him, that he begins to see these miracles or he begins to hear these things that Jesus says that is just so mind-blowing that he just kind of is contemplating this man going, who is this man? Who is he? That, 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 that it, 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 what he says and what he does is just burned in my mind and I can't get away from it. That's what it means when he says, looked upon him. It's different from just seeing. It's, it's like, man, it is so ingrained in me. But then he also says, and we have handled him. To me, it almost sounds like his agent. <laughs> you know, he handles his, his, his guy here. No, it's more than that. This, when he's talking about, and our hands have handled, it does speak when Jesus invites Thomas to come after the resurrection and put his hand, or put his finger in his hands, and his hands in his side to touch him. Even after the resurrection, he wasn't a phantom in that sense. You can touch him. But it also speaks of the closeness that they all had with Jesus. The fact that, that, that kisses were customary even among men and hugs were customary to where you went and you hugged and, and you kissed on both cheeks. It wasn't like he went and was like, whoa, geez, where's Jesus at, you know? It's like, oh, he's a phantom. Um, no, he was not a phantom. He was tangible. You could go and kiss him on the cheek. But it also reminded me of the fact that when they're all sitting around the, the Last Supper area and, and it says that John, as Jesus was speaking about the betrayer, that John just kind of leans on his breast and he didn't fall through. He, he leaned on him. He heard his heartbeat right there. The closeness 
And so John is sharing this, and he starts off like this, to come against the notion or to combat the idea that, that these Gnostics had, that they were trying to pull off within the church, that Jesus was some kind of a, a phantom. He says, that which we have from the beginning, which we have heard and seen with our eyes and looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. Concerning the word of life. John understood the word of life because he beheld him and he heard him and saw him and gazed upon him and touched him. He beheld that glory of the only begotten Son of God. You see, John is giving his testimony of his time with Jesus in the flesh. But it's interesting because as we read what he is writing here, of the times that he saw or or heard and saw and and looked upon and and, and even touched, as I was looking at this, I'm, I'm realizing John spent more time not in the flesh with him, but more in the spirit you, you, you see, Jesus, or John had to live by faith, just like you and I have to live by faith. He only spent three and a half years with Jesus in the flesh. I mean, that, that changed him radically, don't get me wrong. But the things that he had to go through, I was kind of looking at, you know, when he died. It, didn't, it, it gives us a, an, an, a, a time of when he, about he died, closer to... 100 A.D., and he wrote this book in 90 to 95 A.D. And if he was with Jesus as a young man, maybe a late teen, early 20s kind of man, he spent 60-some years in the Spirit. In, in, in the sense of walking by faith and not by sight. He spent more time living by faith than he did actually in the flesh with Jesus. The word of life was manifested to John. It appeared to him. It showed itself to him. It rendered itself apparent. Here I am. (laughs) On the day that John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. You see... Most believe that the other disciple in John 1.35 was John. That he was a disciple of John the Baptist. And when John the Baptist pointed towards Jesus, that's when this John started walking and following after Jesus. And even though he got to to see and, and, and hear and gaze upon and touch him in the flesh, it wasn't really until after the resurrection when Jesus breathed on him and the rest of the guys and said, receive the Holy Spirit in John chapter 20. From that moment is when eternal life for John, the writer here, when it became a reality to him. And he became a spiritual being. It wasn't long after that time when Jesus breathed in them and said, receive the Holy Spirit, that the day of Pentecost came and the Holy Spirit fell upon John and the rest of the people that were in the upper room. And from that time, it seemed like 
this this word of life was was manifested to him and it was right after that that the holy spirit came upon him and it began to get declared into the world by these disciples by these apostles and so even though john spent spent some time in the flesh with jesus it was after the fact when jesus was gone and everything that had been manifested to him began to be declared to the world. When the word of life began to be declared, announced, reported by these eyewitnesses to the others, it was as real to them as when Jesus was with them in the flesh. Nothing had changed. Even though they didn't have Jesus physically with them any longer, you could not convince these guys otherwise. They were so convinced that Jesus lived inside of them, that He was doing a work in them, just as if He was there in the flesh with them. You couldn't convince them otherwise. But some may argue that that the apostles, they did get to see Jesus in the flesh. And they did get to experience all that they did with Jesus in the flesh. But again, let me remind you, it was only three and a half years of their life that they had in the flesh with Jesus. The rest of the time, they lived by faith, just like you and I have to live by faith. This word of life that He is declaring to us, that we have to live by faith, they too had to live by faith. They couldn't live with with the fact that, oh man, remember those days when Jesus was here, when it was so tangible. It was just as tangible to them in the Spirit. When they had to live it by faith. It, was, it made no difference for them. They knew what they had, they had seen and heard and they were still hearing and, 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 and seeing Jesus in their life, moving in and among them. It's interesting because Jesus said when He was about to leave, before He died, He says, and greater works will you do because I go to my Father. Why? Because the Holy Spirit will be in you, with you and in you. You and I have never, ever heard, seen, gazed upon, or touched Jesus in the flesh. I know some people is like, oh no, I have. It's like, no, you haven't. You haven't. Not in the flesh. Not like these guys got, got to see that. But you see, the Word of God was manifested or has manifested itself to the world and it has been declared to us Today, in this day and age, that same word of life that that John is writing about has been declared today. And we receive it by faith. And it should be as real today as it was for the Apostle John. It needs to be that real to us. Because nothing has changed from the time that he wrote this. Because it is the word of life, it is just that, life. In other words... This, what we have here, is alive. <laughs> it's alive. It's like some monster, but it's not. It is so alive. It's like what Hebrews 4.12 tells us where it says, The Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword that, that is, it pierces even the dis- division of the soul and the spirit and the joint and the marrow and is the discerner of the thoughts and the intent of the heart. It is alive. It is so real. It is tangible. 
and we get to receive it and we get to have eternal life because of it. It gives life. It is life to those who receive it. Through it, we are able, honestly, we are able to to hear God. We are able to see God. We are able to gaze upon God and Jesus. And we could even touch Him through this. It's like, whoa, it's like, well, okay, He has touched you through this. I have felt Him. I have felt Him in my own life. So it's not like, oh, it's, it's just way out there. It's too mysterious. It's like, man, it's right here. Peter, in First uh, Peter 1.8 says, Whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see Him, yet believing, you rejoice with with joy inexpressible and full of glory. And many of you in this room would say and will say that you love Jesus. If, I, if, if somebody asked you right now, do you love Jesus? Like, yeah, I love Jesus. You know, you, you would be like, yes, I love Jesus. And yet you've never seen Him in the flesh. And yet you say that you love Jesus. And so because of that, I want to ask you the question. If you would be raising your hand, I love Jesus, let me ask you this question. Are you rejoicing with joy, inexpressible and full of glory? Even though you've never seen Him. Can you say that you have that joy that Jesus is giving you even though you've never touched Him or heard Him physically? Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundant. He was talking about eternal life. But he was saying that we can be experiencing that eternal life that was with the, it was with the Father, but it was in Him. We can be experiencing that life today, no matter the circumstances that you're going through. Because oftentimes the circumstances dictate our life. And the joy is gone when the circumstances become overwhelming in our lives. It's like, ah, Jesus, where are you? It's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. The word of life is real. And it wants to give you life today. No matter what you're going through, you can still have that joy. Again, he, he, in verse 4, it says that he wants your joy to be full. Jesus came to give life. Because He is the Word of Life, we can rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory because the Word of Life affords us that. It gives us that. This Word gives you life and it gives you joy and you can have it to the fullest, but it's all right here. Isn't that amazing? Ah. <laughs> the Word of Life is not some kind of phantom. That, that, that you can't see it, you can't hear it, you can't, you can't gaze upon it or touch it. No, it is very tangible. It, it is real. It, it, it is substantive. <laughs> Guys, this word of life you have sitting on your lap right now. Here's where you get life eternal. It comes from, it's no ordinary book. It, it's made up of pages and, 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 and ink and stuff, but it changes people's lives. changes people's lives today. You have sitting on your lap something that you can hear, see, gaze upon, and touch word of life. It, it, it's right there. Everything you need for life and godliness, the Bible says, is right here. 
in Christ Jesus. And this is where you hear Him. This is where you see Him. This is where you read and you gaze upon it and you're going, oh my goodness. I was just telling people after his first service, it's like, I have been so overwhelmed this week studying again, once again, the Word of Life. And just, it's like becoming real. It has become real in my life. Just, just going like, oh Lord, You've given us everything we need. And no matter what we go through, man, I can still hear You through your word. I can still see you and gaze upon you. I can feel you, Jesus, because your word speaks to me. What what was manifested to John and what he declared has been repeated time and time again throughout the centuries. This very word that he wrote out has been declared time and time and time again and you and I have heard it because you're sitting here today and you're hearing it once again. And I am here to testify this morning that which was from the beginning, which I have heard, which I have seen with my own eyes, which I have looked upon and my hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested and I have seen it and bear witness and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and it was manifested to me Guys, it is so real in my life. <laughs> it is so real in my life. I'm not taking John's word per, for it per se. It is a written word, but I'm not taking his testimony. I, it has been real to me. I am testifying it of myself because I've seen it work in my own life because I have become a partaker of the divine nature of God, as Peter told us. I have become a partaker of who Jesus Christ is in my life. And so because He dwells in me, I can have that that divine nature in my life. You see, again, it has become so real to me. And you would be hard-pressed to try to convince me otherwise. You can talk to me all... if You could be a Gnostic and try to tell me, Oh no, but this is like, you're a fool. Because I will believe this instead of man. The reality of all that comes from this is so real in my life. It comes from the Word of God. That's not just part of my life. It is my life. I do nothing without this. I don't make decisions without this. I don't even get up in the morning without acknowledging God. I can't. Because I know what, what, that He gives me direction through this. And I could guarantee you that many of you are struggling because you're not going to the source. Here's the word of life and you're trying to live life and you're failing con- continuously because you're not seeking the word of life. And it's just part of your life. It has to be all of your life. And I can guarantee you that if you make it all of your life, things will happen in your life that are different. That you, it, because again, it just can't be part of it. It can't. The Word of Life cannot just be part of your life. It has to be all your life. John is testifying here that it was this <laughs> that changed him completely. That eternal life that was with the Father and was manifested to John and to those who were with him and that he is writing to is still being manifested and declared today. 
It has not changed. It has not lessened. What John experienced in the flesh and that he wrote about through faith is just as real today. It has not lessened. It's not weakened, guys. You, you, you might think, oh, it's just kind of far-fetched. Well, you can think that, but it has not weakened, not one iota. It is so real today. I, I, I am sharing with you my personal testimony of what this has done to me. It has changed me. It has become every part of my life. I have to go to this. I have experienced the word of life. But I have also witnessed it in other people's lives. Many of you who all of a sudden began to read and to make it your life instead of just a part of your life. I've seen God work in your life. And you can testify of that also. My three kids, when it became their life, their lives changed. Not because we were telling, hey, you've got to read your Bible. Hey, you've got to go to Sunday school. Hey, you've got to go to youth group. You know what? When, when it became their life, I saw a transformation in all of my kids because they began to walk with Jesus. They began to, to, to see Him and to hear Him and to gaze upon Him and to handle Him as well. I've seen it. I've seen it way too many times to not think that this is real. <laughs> it changes you. Verses 3 and 4 where it says, That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. The evidence of having received the word of life that it has become your life, is the fellowship that you have with God and with one another. A couple of weeks ago, I shared with you what the word fellowship means. It has words like partnership, participation, communion, intercourse. It, it, all these words that are associated with fellowship have an intimate meaning. Having fellowship with God and with His Son will create a, an intimacy of oneness between you and God. Just like the, the intimacy of oneness that, that God the Father and God the Son have because they are one. And He wants to have that intimacy with you and I. You see, when, when the Word of Life does not become important to you any longer, all of a sudden there's this separation that happens in your life. All of a sudden, you're not as close to God as you used to be. And many of you can attest to that. Talking to someone even last week who hadn't been in church in I don't know how long, but it's like, ah, you know, it's like, well, what happened? Well, I got busy. And busyness <laughs> took that fellowship and just separated. That intimacy that, 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 that people once had, all of a sudden it's like, well, I'm not as close as I used to be. Why is that? Maybe because the word of life has not been speaking to you on a regular basis, on a daily basis, because you haven't been picking it up. You know, I, I, I want to convey to you the importance of having this word of life so that you can personally testify, it is my life. I do nothing without it. I can't even function without it. But you see, 
when things distract us in our lives, and it's this, and in this day and age, more than ever that I've seen in my 30-some years, people are being distracted more and more. And guess what? It reflects on your fellowship with one another here. It reflects in your church attendance. It truly does. All of a sudden, it's like, wow, whenever we get around to it, like, really? You know what? It reflects your fellowship with God. God is not where he needs to be in your life. He's not everything to you right now. Because his word is not everything to you right now. The things of this world and just life itself become a distraction from God, from Jesus, and from church. It really does. But you all have to do with fellowship. And John is saying, man, this that I have heard and seen and gazed upon and touched on this word of life, it creates this fellowship with one another, but with God most importantly. And when that fellowship with God, it, it becomes distant, it reflects in, in our fellowship with one another. People come in and out and you don't even get to know the people because they're like, I ain't got time. I got to split right away, man. And Zeke, if you go a little long, dude, I got to get up and go in that last song, dude, because I got to get on. And I understand people get busy, but you know what? It's reflecting not only in church, but in your family. It's, reflect, it's reflecting in your family the fact that you do not have fellowship with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And your kids are, are noticing that. It's like, hmm, not important. And they're going, sweet. We don't have to go to church. The lack of fellowship in our lives have, has robbed us from the fullness of joy. If you do not have joy in your life, if you're not experiencing on a continual basis, no matter the circumstances, is because fellowship has been severed. And there's been, there's, there's been this, this, like, being apart from God. You know, this morning, I, I, I've instructed the leaders of our church that we're going to do two songs at the end. And they're just going to be up here, man. They, they, they're going to be up here to pray with you. Because many of you need to repent. Many of you need to say, I'm, I used to be close with God and I'm not there any longer. And, and you could sit there and pray and, re, and repent and, and do all that stuff. But, but some of you need to come up and pray. And just say, I, I've been distant from God. And I need that fellowship once again. And I need you to lay your hands on me and baptize me with the Holy Spirit once again that it would fall afresh upon me. Because I need that right now. Because many of you guys are struggling. And honestly, man, if it was a one-on-one -on -one and I could talk to you, if I asked you, hey, how's your reading life? How's the word of life and your impact in your life right now? You'd be going like, mm, geez. <laughs> it's like, dude, there's a problem. And you just need prayer. My heart is, as I was going through this time, is that your desire would be to get close to God once again. Because when you're close to God, it reflects every aspect of your life. You know, on your bulletin, it has our vision that it's upreach, inreach, outreach. And, and, and right now, your, your, your upreach has not been where it should be. And it's reflected in your inreach with one another here. And so why are we doing any kind of outreach? <laughs> we, we, we need to be looking to Jesus first and foremost for everything. And, and, and just allowing him 
to minister to us here. And that's why my leaders are going to be up here. You don't have to come up. But I don't want you walking out that door going, man, I should have gone up there and just get some prayer, man, because I can't do this on my own. And I, need, I, needed, I just needed somebody to pray for me, and I bailed. And guys, they're going to make themselves available up here. And I just want to invite you, because if I could, if I could grab each one of you and say, you need fellowship, you'd be going, dude, back up, Jack or Zeke. But you do. You need that fellowship with God. Because you yourself know how far away you've gotten. And it's affected you. It's affected your life and your family. And it's affected your, your church family here. And so I just want to pray for you guys, even as we start, that, that God would just minister to your heart. Because there's going to be people up here that, that want to pray for you. And I don't want you leaving without getting prayer. If there's other issues going on in your life, they're here for you, man. And so let's, let's just pray right now and see what God wants to do in these last couple of songs. Father in heaven, Lord, we've read your word. Lord, it is life. It reveals life to us, Lord God. And Father, many who are sitting in this room right now, Lord God, have been distracted by life itself. Let's draw them away. And Lord, they need to... to to step up, Lord, and, and come and get a fresh filling of your Holy Spirit and to be prayed for, Lord, by someone else, Lord. And Jesus, I pray for all my leaders as well, that, God, their hearts would be in the place, Lord, God, that where they are in intimate fellowship with you and if they need to repent first and foremost before they pray for anybody, Lord, God, I pray that you would do that work in their lives as you brought them up here to pray. And so, Jesus, please, Lord, do a work in my brothers' and sisters' lives. Lord, draw them back into that fellowship, that intimacy that you want to have for them and with them, Lord. God, I pray that if there's anyone here that does not know you, Lord, and has never had that fellowship, that intimacy, I pray that today you would break down that wall and they would come to know you, Lord. And so, Father, I pray that, God, you would just do a mighty and awesome work in this time of prayer, in this time of worship, as we seek your face, Lord God. Lord, please, Lord God, just find the, the works of the enemy right now that, that is trying to distract people. Bring them, Lord God, to a place of, of just humility and repentance that they would gain that fellowship with you once again. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your word, Lord God. Let it be our life, Lord, and not just a part of it. Blessed be your name. In Jesus' name, amen.